Hey, uh, before we dive into the message this morning, I, I just wanted to let you know about an experience that I had and kind of collectively as a church that we had. Uh, a couple of us went down to New Bern, North Carolina earlier this week and got to spend some time on the uh, rebuild side of things rather than the recovery side of things with uh, the damage that happened there with Hurricane Florence. And that was a really cool trip. We also discovered that they are projecting being in the rebuild phase for at least the next eight months there. So I just want to let you know there's going to be plenty of opportunities that if <clears throat> excuse me, um, you have a free weekend or an, a long weekend or something like that, that you want to get connected with some teams to go down and help people uh, get their homes and lives uh, back together, we would love to connect you with great organizations for that to happen. And so we'll talk about that for, uh, over the next few weeks. There's going to be some more information that we're going to be giving about that and how we can connect you with that. But don't necessarily feel like you've got to wait for a planned team or a trip to go. There's going to be some great opportunities for you, for you to do that, uh, opportunities for your kids kids to be able to help with that too, uh, your older kids to help with you in doing that. So I just want to let you know that it's coming up. I didn't, I'm not going to show you any pictures today. You can uh, go to our social media accounts to check those out if you want to. All right. The phrase, my perception is my reality. How many of you have heard that phrase before? All right. Even if you're not familiar with that phrase, you've put that phrase into practice in your life. Our lives are often shaped by the circumstances and events that happen around us, and we take those and we allow those things to be the lens through which we experience and view our life. For example, if you had a great uh, experience with church and religion growing up, it probably informs how quickly you get engaged when you are a part of a congregation. If you had a great experience, maybe you had a grandma who's really strong in her faith, it always seems like there's a grandma somewhere in, in the story there that's really strong in their faith and they inspired you. You know, It, it gives you the, uh, the reason to get up and to come and be a part of the body of Christ, to serve, to be a part of groups and that kind of thing. You jump right in. If you had a terrible experience growing up with religion or with faith or with God in church, maybe you went somewhere and if you were a visitor, they made you stand up. So if you're, no, I'm just kidding, we don't do that here. Or maybe you came in, they said, hey, put it on this name tag, and, and you got to go over here and do these things. Maybe there's something that made you uncomfortable. Maybe even this morning there's a sense of trepidation even coming in uh, to this building because of some of those experiences you've had uh, in your past. Your, your perception is your reality. The things that have happened to you. Uh, and happen around you often shape how we view and experience life. However, sometimes our perceptions lie. They're, they're not always correct. They're not always based in fact. And I, I just want to give you an example of that. I want to show you a picture. It's a really cool picture. This is the first picture. And, and so somebody carried this, I guess that's a wardrobe or cabinet, and put it on a rock formation. I don't know if you can, it's kind of like sandy and a beach there. So kind of a neat Neat picture, right? All right, that's the perception there. Here's the reality. The reality is that this was a miniature on a table, and some I don't know if he's, I don't know what he's doing. He's putting flour on it or some, something like that. And so it was all set up. So it was totally fake. All right, next picture. So here's this really cool uh, old school cars on the street. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know, obviously somebody put an Instagram filter on that to make it look like it's old school, but somebody just put restored cars out there or something like that, right? Well, here's, here's the reality. 
<laughs> they're just miniatures on a little table right there, made to look like that. I got you with miniatures two times in a row. Did you see that coming? All right, last one, last one. Here's this beautiful pond in front of this massive estate that these people got married at, and so they took this really cool wedding picture. Well, here's the behind the scenes of how this happened. Uh, the photographer was willing to get into a muddy puddle, and they made it look amazing. It kind of ruins the magic, right, when you realize that there are a lot of things in life that are often made to look prettier than they are. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the book of Job and the story of suffering and trust and how the Bible takes an honest look about how our perspectives should be shaped by the things and events that happen around us in our lives. That, that's not just about what we experience in our, our kind of narrow field of view when it comes to how we navigate through suffering and pain in our life. Um, the book of Job is so relatable because somewhere along the way, we've all asked the question, why God? We've all had our perspective somewhere along the way shaped by something negative, and so we're wondering, God, where are you in the face of this, and how should this change how we view you and how we view ourselves and how we live out our lives? Even if your specific question isn't about why do good people suffer, maybe some other injustice that exists, we all have something that we're looking for answers uh, from God on. There's something so oppressive, though, about bad things happening that it often outweighs the good that we experience in this life. Especially if you find yourself stressed, afraid, worried, or depressed, it can seem like it takes a superhuman effort to hold on to the perspective that Jesus' victory over sin and death gives enough of an impact on our physical and mental lives as it does our spiritual ones. My perception is my reality. But we don't own the events that shape our perspectives. And so there's a word of caution for the assumption that our perspective equals reality, especially when it comes to our pain and our suffering. Marcus Aurelius in Meditations wrote this, If you are pained by external things, it is not they that disturb you, but your own judgment of them. And it is in your power to wipe out that judgment now. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody, when something bad is happening, they say something like, oh, it's getting real now. You know, like, like somehow uh, this thing that's happening is producing more reality than at other times in their life. But perhaps our problem with suffering or bad things happening is not that we're experiencing too much reality, but it's that we're not recognizing enough reality, and this is what we'll tackle today in the book of Job. And I want to let you know this now and this is kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride where the grandfather is like spoiling some things for his grandson as he reads them because he wants to make him to make sure he understands what's coming up and what's going to happen. God never answers Job's question on why he's suffering. Now, if you didn't know, like if you hadn't read Job before and you didn't know that and you're like, man, this is the third message in the series, you got one more thing, and you're telling us this now? Like, what is the point of going through this? Like, how, how does that make any kind of sense that, that God never answers Job question, Job's questions? There's no aha moment in which Job hears what God has to say, and we're going to dive into this next week where God gives his final response, uh, where Job hears what God has to say, and he says, oh, now I get why I lost all my stuff and my children had to die. Like, there, there's not this aha moment where it's like, now it all makes sense. God doesn't provide that for Job. And you might wonder, where's the wisdom in, in that? Well, 
Our perspective on God's wisdom and justice in the face of suffering isn't built on an answer. It's built on trust. And right in the middle of Job, a single chapter addresses this issue. In Job chapter 3, verses 27, we have the dialogue between friends, which we talked about last week, where they're going back and forth, and Job is defending himself. His friends are talking at and past Job and talking about how he must have done something terrible in order for God to, uh, to punish him this way, and they're unwilling to allow their historical view of God's wisdom and justice be changed by what's actually happening in Job's life. And when there's a break in the dialogue, and you can kind of tell that everybody's frustrated with, uh, frustrated with each other, they're, they're kind of silent, they're done arguing, we find a poem about wisdom. Seems kind of interesting that this would be inserted here, but I mentioned a couple weeks ago that maybe a, a helpful way for us to view Job is as a play. That there's this dialogue, there's this narration, uh, as, as this poetry and prose is, is written for us the best way for us to think about it in this play. And in the middle of this play, there's this intermission in Job chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to there. We're going to be reading out of there in, in just a second. But I want to, th- this is not just like an intermission where we take a break and we leave and go get popcorn and a soda and then come back. This is actually the central theme of the entire book of Job. In fact, um, in a lot of ancient uh, literature, particularly in poetry, there is a uh, rhetorical form called chiasm uh, that the entire book, Guyan, do you appreciate that? Guyan and I were talking about chiasms the other day. Uh, that the entire book of Job fits into the structure. And, and it's basically a pattern where this subject is talked about, and then you, you see it kind of repeated as you go out. But in the middle of that is the really important thing. So I'm just going to show you a picture of what that looks like. And so here's, here's, if you break down uh, the book of Job into its major pieces, here's what it looks like. And you start to see, it, we'll just leave that slide up for a couple seconds, you, you start to see like the connection between these things that are happening and right in the middle of that is it's all about wisdom. Wisdom is the central theme in this poetic exploration of God and suffering and this is what we find is that trust in God's wisdom is central to our perspective on God's justice. That's, that's what's going to develop our perception in the way that God wants us to see how he views his wisdom and justice in the face of our suffering. And so Job chapter 28 begins with imagery of mining for wisdom. And I've never mined before. I know a miner, uh, a former miner, and somebody who's done that before. But I have gone on an elementary school field trip and sluiced. Is that a, can you say it that way? I don't know. Sluiced, panned for gold. Has anybody ever done that before? Use this, no, it's, it's kind of fun, and you shake the rocks and stuff like that. And one of the things you very quickly have to uh, realize and learn is that there's this thing called fool's gold. Yeah, you heard of fool's gold? It's called pyrite. No? Okay. No fans of geology. That, that's okay. It, it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that is very interesting to me as I read through Job chapter 28 in these first few verses, because we're not going to read the whole chapter uh, today, but I, I invite you to do that at some point, even do that now if you want to. That mankind has continually throughout history been searching for wisdom. And and the more we look and the more discover, the more knowledge we accumulate, really the only thing that we've determined is that we, we have a lot more that we don't know. And so we're continuing to find, and, and along the way, we find some pretty cool things, some pretty things, things that maybe seem valuable to us, but also when we stop short of God's wisdom, what we've settled for is fool's gold. 
And so as the narrator of Job, as the author of Job is writing, writing, this, uh, writing this chapter, he's identifying that we spend time, resources, and social capital to mine precious wisdom in our life. But if we think it's something we can attain our, on our own, we're missing on the wisdom that God has for us. And so here's how he ends Job chapter 28, verses 20 through 28. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living being, concealed even from the birds of the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord... That is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. After this narration, the intermission is over, the foundational truth has been laid down, and the path forward to the other side of suffering begins. The perspective of wisdom has been established, and so the author of Job has prepared us for the conclusion and the answers that Job actually gets. Now, Job, he, he doesn't know about this intermission, and so when chapter 29 begins, he continues into his final defense of his life, of, of the vindication for who he, who he is, his righteous living, that he doesn't deserve any of the things that he's experienced up to this point in his life. And along the way, we discover that in the play on the stage that there has been a fifth silent character that's been observing this dialogue and this discussion all along. There's this fourth friend named Elihu who finally, in this pause after Job, finally shuts up about himself and about all the great things that he's done in his life, decides to speak up. And in Job chapter 32, verses 1 through 3, we find out what his motivation for speaking is. These three, these three men, the, fr- the three friends, stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Last week we mentioned in chapter 42, God condemns the friends because they make false claims about his character and his nature. He's very angry with them about that, and Elihu recognizes that. And and this, the, the thing that makes him even more angry, though, is the fact that Job spends all of this time talking about himself. And so Elihu speaks up, not because he has something to say at Job, and not an argument that he wants to get in with Job, but simply to justify God for God's sake. Prior to Elihu, Job and friends claim that God's justice and wisdom should be a response to humanity's actions. Job claims that he didn't do anything to deserve this. Job's friends claims that he must have done something to deserve this. Elihu claims that God acts on the terms of his own wisdom and justice and not ours. And remember from last week, the reason that we're grateful for this as followers of Jesus is that God doesn't act on what we deserve in this life. God's justice includes the injustice of the gospel. And so the more our trust in God is built on his wisdom and less on our ability to understand it, the less suffering directs our perspective of reality in this life. 
Philip Yancey, in Disappointment with God, writes this, which if you haven't picked that up, um, get it from your library, uh, something, and, and read through this if you've ever been disappointed with God. He writes this, Why the delay? Why does God let evil and pain so flagrantly exist, even thrive on this planet? He holds back for our sakes. Recreation involves us. We are, in fact, at the center of his plan. The motive behind all human history is to develop us, not God. Our very existence announces to the powers in the universe that restoration is underway. And every act of faith by every one of the people of God is like the tolling of a bell, and a faith like Job's reverberates throughout the universe. Humanity's introduction of sin into the universe and into the equation of life is what allows brokenness to exist, and yet God doesn't leave us in the midst of the unreasonable chaos that we create. He restores order in our lives by redeeming us through Jesus. And I'm not just talking about, uh, I'm not just talking about philosophically, like theoretically, this is possible. I'm talking about being able to point around the room, which I won't, I won't do, in first service and second service, and point to people who have been on both sides of fear and worry and anxiety and depression and brokenness in relationships, separation, divorce, broken children, broken jobs, broken health. And the list goes on, and I could keep going, and I can point to people who have been on both sides of that equation, and yet that, they, didn't st- they weren't stuck behind in the midst of their pain because they were trusted in the wisdom of God. With God in our lives, trusting in his wisdom, stories of suffering produce stories of trust. That's what Paul, who, who suffered countless times after he started being faithful to God in his life. This is what he means when he writes in Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts throughout the, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Your perspective may be your reality, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way. Because God offers a different perspective through Jesus, and when we take it, no matter what life throws at us, we always end up with hope. And I understand that there are a lot of different options and choices to make in how we perceive the world around us. We can take a lifetime to experience and explore all of those options. We can use a lifetime to be tossed around by circumstances that we can't control, the mistakes that we make or the sin that we commit. But in the intermission, in the space of between, we also have a choice and an opportunity to perceive that in a lifetime what we really have time for is faith. And that faith boils down to two things. We can either spend our lives justifying ourselves or justifying God. We're either made in his image or we're remaking him in ours. And Elihu, this, this fourth friend, calls out Job because he was fixated on needing God to explain himself to, God, to Job. And what Job really needed to be reminded of is the central theme of faith in Job chapter 28, verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. For humanity, wisdom is defined as the reverence and all do our creator, and the evidence of understanding is a rejection of that which is in opposition to the one who ordered the world. And so if, we're, if, if we make the choice to be more concerned with justifying God and not ourselves, 
then the question for us in the midst of our pain and midst of our suffering is who are we going to give the power to? Are we going to give the power of our perceptions and our realities over to our suffering, or are we going to give that over to our Savior? It's not about ignoring or fearing, acknowledging our pain before God and to each other and hiding it and sweeping it under the rug so no one else knows uh, and, and going it alone. It's about not giving up. Here's some wisdom for you. How far can you walk into a forest? Do you know? Only halfway. Because then you're walking out of it. The same could be said for our suffering with the right perspective. See, a lot of times in the midst of our suffering, we make permanent decisions for temporary problems. And this never produces wisdom in our life. Our perspective is limited. God's perspective is wholly unlimited. And so wisdom looks like faith regardless of the circumstance. It looks like obedience regardless of our ability to understand because it's only on the other side of that faithfulness that we finally get the picture and perspective that God wants to share in his wisdom. On a very practical, pragmatic uh, application standpoint, like what's the takeaway uh, of that? The takeaway is to keep going. That's what God enables us to do through his Holy Spirit, the gift that we receive when we follow Jesus. In the, pain, in the face of pain and suffering and tragedy and chaos, keep going. That's the encouragement that people in your life need as a follower of Jesus because that's the hope that you and I have. We can keep going because Jesus has already gone on ahead. Job chapter 28 starts off talking about how we can't mine wisdom for ourselves, but I believe that it would be appropriate for us to maybe make a bit of a footnote from Jesus in this chapter from Matthew chapter 13. Because Jesus begins talking about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 through 46, and he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And as Christ followers, when we found Jesus, we found that hidden treasure that so many of us have been mining for and looking for our entire lives. And when we model following after God's wisdom rather than our own, than our own being obedient to him regardless of our ability to understand all of the things that are happening in our life, what we do is we share and show that preciousness of wisdom that we have received and that we were living out. And, and we keep it at the service, at the surface, so that people who are around us that don't know Jesus yet, who are looking for that precious wisdom, don't have to dig nearly as deep to find it on their own. And so in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our asking why, we can keep going because of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that's our motivator, not the circumstances and things that have happened to us, but what God has already done for us. And we get to share that as a fantastic and amazing encouragement uh, to ourselves and to the people around us. And so I, I just want to invite you, if, if that, like, if you realize that you've been looking for wisdom on your own terms in your life, there is an open invitation at any point to make that next step of faith and starting to follow God and to believe in Jesus to give over our suffering to a Savior. 
And so if, if you've never made that decision, if you've never been baptized before, if you feel like, man, I, I've not had this starting point where I've said, I'm kind of done looking for this on my own, and so I'm going to hold on to the wisdom that God gives in the face of the things that I deal with in this life, I just want to let you know that that invitation is always open. Um, you can contact me at any time during the day. We'll baptize you at any, anywhere, any place, any time. Um, that we will talk about whatever next step that you feel like you need to take, even as a Christ follower, and you're like, I just can't get past the suffering that I'm in the midst of. Like, that's, that's what we're here for as a church, to encourage each other in and to move forward in, because God's wisdom uh, will trump ours and how we deal with it every time. His perspective can become our reality. Let's pray. God, I... Uh, I thank you for not leaving it all up to us. Thank you for uh, sending Jesus to be the sacrifice uh, for our sins, to take the suffering that we deserve on his own shoulders uh, so that we can experience your grace and mercy. And God, I ask for that perspective in the midst of our real pain and our real suffering. God, help us to see... Um, how perseverance uh, through you in the face of suffering can build our character and produce hope in our lives for, for ourselves and each other. And I ask uh, for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.